begin our service. Today's topic, this week's topic is forgiveness, and today's title is The Trouble with Forgiveness. Um, to quote one of my favorite movies, uh, which came out when I was a kid, The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, in the first scene, uh, Michelangelo says, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. And uh, never were those words truer. Uh, it doesn't really have to do with what we're talking about, but if I could find a way to quote the Ninja Turtles in a sermon, I'm going to jump at it. And that is something to think about, by the way. Uh, you know, forgiveness is divine. Uh, and so this morning we're going to talk about what exactly forgiveness means. We'll be in Luke 15. Today we're going to talk about uh, divine forgiveness. Wednesday will be uh, forgiveness between each other. And uh, before we can talk about the difficulties that inevitably arise uh, with each other, we've got to first look at forgiveness in regards to God. Uh, And forgiveness is an incredibly difficult thing. Uh, It's a rare thing. Uh, There was a woman, uh, uh, Marganita Lasky. She's actually English. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard of her. But uh, she was a famous humanist and novelist. And in 1988, she was on television. And it was shortly before she died. But she had kind of a moment of, of kind of a rare moment of candor on television where she said, the one thing I envy about Christians is their forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. Um, and so it was kind of this, it's like, whoa, this moment of, of honesty from her. But then it got me thinking, you know, forgiveness is definitely, it is uh, part and parcel part of Christianity, but I wonder how present is it really in our lives today? And for those of us this morning that that, that call ourselves Christians or disciples, uh, it's it's a good opportunity for us to look at uh, forgiveness in our own life. Where have we withheld forgiveness? Where do we, where is, um, where does the buck stop in terms of forgiveness? For those that are not disciples this morning, for you, the same question, you know, where, how have you let unforgiveness stop you uh, from connecting with people? And this is a massive one. This is a huge one. Uh, I think with other, even Jesus himself with other sins, he's um, almost more lenient, it seems. But in Luke um, 17, Jesus says, if someone comes to you and says, I repent 77 times, you say, I forgive you. Come on, bro. And if you do not forgive each other, then your father will not forgive you. He doesn't say that about other things. With Jesus, unforgiveness or a lack of forgiveness is a most heinous crime. It is unique. It is different. Um, what is Jesus really talking about, though? Because most world religions have some essence of forgiveness in them. But we want to talk today about what is true Christ-like forgiveness, and how does it really differ? Or are we simply just another religion, um, you know, pushing forgiveness, um, you know, because it, it is something that we all want. Um, but forgiveness always carries with it some certain stipulations, doesn't it? Um, how do you feel when... It's, it's your turn to have to forgive somebody else. What goes through your mind? What goes into your heart? I don't know about you, but some people are easier to forgive than others. Yeah. Um, people that I don't really know very well, perhaps even in the world that I encounter, it's easy to forgive them. I think for, for good reason, we have a higher standard of forgiveness um, and even with um, ethical behavior within this room. Um, you know, people will say, well, how come it seems like uh, there's even more sin, perhaps, uh, in the church than out in the world? Well, one, uh, we're open about it. Amen. Praise God for yeah. that. Yeah. Where we strive to be vulnerable. So there it is. But on the other hand, um, I think in here we hold it to our family. Mm. And families, 
uh, hurt each other more than, than non-families. You know, we're, we're more intimate with one another. We're in each other's lives. But in the same regard, we can actually hurt each other's feelings most deepest, most deeply, uh, because we are around each other more. And we do have high expectations for one another, especially um, the more we even think of like a leader in the church. We, we, we kind of think they can't sin or they shouldn't mess up. We tend to hold them to a very high standard. And we can, we can actually even view people certain ways in terms of their family. Uh, anyway, you get the point. Uh, it's forgiveness. We hold each other to a high standard in regard to forgiveness in the church, which means I think that we can have more opportunity to be bitter with relationships in the church. Um, because we, we, we reach those, um, you know, uh, point of no return uh, streets in our hearts where we go, uh, I'm not going to forgive him again. He's blown it. He's messed up 10, 20, 30 times. And I think we struggle to forgive people who are repeat offenders. <laughs> you know, it's once okay, but no, they've done it again. They've gotten angry again. They've lost their temper again. They've let me down again. They've insulted me again. They don't even know they hurt me again. Uh, and and we, we tend to pull back our hearts and we can really struggle with, you know, the f- whole forgive and forget thing. How much should you forgive? How much should you forget? Can you really ever forget some things? I don't know. Uh, plus, with our memories, a lot of us, I don't know about you, but my memory tends to update itself with, with new twists and turns for dramatic effect. So I, I, have, I have memories that are, I don't think are really true, you know, but, but I think they are. I think, oh, it happened that way, but no, it didn't happen that way. And, you know, there's three sides to every story, right? You know, one person's perspective, the other person's perspective, and then the truth of what really happened. Um, and so... But we can, we can get deeply hurt, and so we, we pull back from, from forgiving. We get really angry. We get really angry, and anger can stop us from forgiving. Uh, and anger, by the way, I don't want to steal too much from, from Wednesday. Wednesday we're going to talk about uh, anger and, and forgiveness practically within amongst each other. But you know Ephesians 4 says, In your anger do not sin, or other versions be angry and do not sin. Anger is not a sin. And in fact, I would venture as far as to say no emotion is a sin. Um, it's just how we use that motion, emotion or why are we, why are you angry? Why are you, uh, you know, thinking concerned about this thing? That could become anxiety. It could just be concern. And so, with, you know, with anger, anger can be good. Uh, but oftentimes with, with people hurting our feelings, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Why am I angry? What am I defending so staunchly? What am I trying to fight? Why am I angry? And most times, for me, honestly... It's I'm angry because I want them to hurt as much as they hurt me. When someone isn't aware of how much they hurt me, I want them to, I want them to hurt too. If they're not aware, then fine. I'll, I'll just be short with them. I'll be, you know, curt with them. I'll, I'll, you know, say something under my breath to them. I won't invite them to the next thing, you know, that I'm hosting at my place. And they're going to, oh, they'll feel it, you know. And so we, we actually change our behavior so that they get, it's like retribution. It's revenge in, in, in some ways. They're not even aware of it. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we can struggle with forgiveness. And it's not just us. Uh, It's not just us. You know, all over the world, forgiveness is a big problem. People don't know how to really forgive in the world. Uh, People, like, you think about, we can name a lot of different issues, but think about people who are not Christians, people in your workplace. I mean, it's very performance-driven. Very performance-driven. Forgiveness is not something that's really popular in the workplace. Right. If you do well, you're promoted. If you struggle, uh, you're fired, uh, you know, and that reinforces some performance driven lifestyles that we have. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I think that when we really get down to it, we can be afraid of a lifestyle of forgiveness. You know, we want 
we can say we want justice or we want tit for tat. We want, they need to be punished. And actually, the word for forgiveness in the Old Testament is really incredible. It, the word for forgiveness in the Old Testament is to put aside. Because sin in the Old Testament was never viewed as it can never be obliterated. You can't just make sin go away. There are consequences for your sin. Your sexual immorality, your anger, your fits of rage. The sin's there. God is simply putting it aside so that he can see you and have a relationship with you. It's why in the Old Testament you have to make sacrifices every year. You can't just have one and be good forever. You've got to keep going back and making sacrifices because God's continually putting aside your sin. Continually. You can't get rid of sin. There's no way. And so God God came to an impasse. It was a really tough one. Because how does God maintain his integrity as a righteous, loving God? But how does he still have a relationship with you? That's a tough one. And for any parent, you're probably aware of that. How do I maintain conviction of right and wrong with my child? But have you met my child? (laughs) How do I do this? How do I have a loving relationship, but one where I can also maintain integrity of what is right and wrong? And in Luke chapter 15, where we'll be today, we have one of the greatest parables that Jesus tells. And it's in a number of parables that I'm just going to mention briefly, but they're all part of the same pericope. They're all part of the same section. And so it's important to know what Luke is really driving at here in Luke 15, verse 1. It says in Luke 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, who are the tax collectors and sinners? These are the marginalized of society. These are prostitutes. Tax collectors were viewed as traitors. Uh, you know, you might, I don't, I mean, as close as we could do today, you might think of people who are marginalized, maybe for being fundamentalist, uh, you know, Muslim. Uh, they might, you know, these people are gathering around to meet Jesus. Maybe the atheists, maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You can make up your own you know, depending on your prejudices. I don't know. But it's the people who are not loved generally by society gathering around Jesus. And then verse 2, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. No one ever mutters anything good, do they? I really love those guys. No. But the Pharisees and the teachers in the law of the law muttered, this man, can't even say his name, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, Jesus has really good hearing. So you got to be careful what you mutter around Jesus, because he hears it pretty good. And then Jesus told them this parable. Hunter, hum, wonder what it's about. He tells them in verse 3 a parable about a man who owned a hundred sheep, and one wanders off. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one. And he picks up the sheep, and he brings it back on his shoulders. And Jesus has just compared... God to a shepherd. Once again, not the best person in the world. The shepherds were not viewed as great people because they couldn't perform all the natural, uh, the normal rituals of purity. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't wash. They couldn't do all these things that you're supposed to do. Okay, so if you're a Pharisee and a teacher of the law, you're thinking, okay, what's he getting at? What's this story of the sheep about? And why did he just compare God to a shepherd? And Jesus says, okay, I see you're 10,000. I'm going to raise you 20,000. Uh, in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has lost some coins. And she's lost this coin and she searches everywhere in the house to find it. She doesn't give up. She sweeps the place. She picks up the sofa. She's looking on the sofa cushions and she finds the coin and she celebrates. Now Jesus has just compared God 
To a woman. Are you kidding? Like Saudi Arabian women just started driving last week. Like, this is what we're talking about. 2,000 years ago, same culture. Okay? He just compared God to a woman. Now the Pharisees and the tax collectors, might, or Pharisees and the teachers of the law might be thinking, I'm getting pretty angry at this point. What are you trying to say? You just told two, you know, pro-sinner parables here. And now Jesus tells our story in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In the King James Version, it says, Father, give me my share of your living. Uh, this Basically, he's asking for his inheritance. And we don't want to get in too much into the point of all this, but you can imagine what that might, what he's really saying to his father. Like, Father, you're not dead yet, but I would like what's coming my way so I can go leave. Um, this is highly offensive. It's highly insulting. It's, it's self-focus. Yeah. It's discouraging. You know, one thing about, one, the only reason we need forgiveness is because of sin. Sin breaks relationships. Sin tears up relationships. That's why we have to forgive. We have to actually uh, reconcile back to a pre-forgiveness state. We have to come back together. Because sin hurts. Maybe you lost your temper at somebody. You've sinned. You've got to forgive to come back together. Maybe you broke trust with that person. Maybe they took advantage of you. You've got to forgive to come oh, back well. together. And so all, that's what forgiveness is, is. There has to be sin. That's why it's so hard. It's because somebody has to put it aside. Somebody has to be like God there and say, all right, put it aside. But where does that sin go? We still have a problem, right? Because the sin's still there. It's just simply in the corner, stacking up. You know, it's like in the closet and you open the closet and it falls on you, right? It's like that. You're putting it aside, but it's still there. Now, without any more interruptions, because you're like, can he just read without stopping to interpret? One time, just come on, give him a flow, Drew, flow. Don't stop. Okay, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. How are you feeling right now if you're a Pharisee and a teacher of the law? Yes. Finally. Something goes their way. They have sinned. They have left God. Those sinners, those prostitutes, those traitors, they have messed up. That, that's, they left. They, they hurt God. They insulted him. They took what was theirs, their inheritance. They took it from God. They sinned against him. And now they're getting what's coming to them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for finally telling a parable that we want to hear. Right? When he came to his senses in verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare while I am here starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, back at the farm, the older son was still in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, as we talk about what it really means to forgive, this is an incredible parable. (coughs) Basically, three things happen in this parable. Uh, And all these things have happened to us or are happening to us right now. The first is that we sin against God. We insult him. We hurt hurt him. We break the relationship. We, we, we break fellowship with God in some way. Now, however this happens, I don't know. For myself, it was hatred toward people. It was arrogance. It was prejudice. It was uh, sexual immorality. It was deceit. Um, I was really good at concocting stories for mom and dad so that they would give me points for being open, but also, uh, you know, be, uh, not be too alarmed by what I shared. I, I was very good at giving them enough information, but holding back even more. Uh, I was good at playing the game. I've loved games since I was a kid. I like to win games. Uh, and for me, Christianity was just another game to win. Just another, more people to fool. Uh, just more things, more things to get around to really do what I wanted to do at the end of the day. I remember sitting at home in my bed just imagining how I, would, how I could deceive my parents, how I could deceive my family. Uh, and I remember studying the Bible with this guy, Nick Anderson, Tuesday mornings at, at, at Starbucks. The first time he bought me a Frappuccino and I thought, this is going to be a sweet little thing. Tuesday, Frappuccino with Nick. But he told me the next time that he couldn't afford to buy me a Frappuccino every time. And I thought, then why set a standard for yourself? Why do that and just let me down? Uh, Anyway, but I kept going to Bible studies because I was forced to. And so I did. And I went. And even with Nick, I was deceitful. Uh, Man, I took it to new heights. I would type up a written response of how I thought the Bible study went when I was 14 uh, and give it to Nick on Sunday, like, Take that, you know, I, I, I'm probably the best, you know, protege you've ever had. Uh, and I remember just being so arrogant, so deceitful. And, and no one ever knew the real Drew, even 14 year old Drew. There was plenty there, but no one really knew what was going on. You know, for me, I sinned against God. I lied. I deceived. I, was, I just was 
trying to maneuver what people thought. I cared more about the opinions of men than the opinion of God. I thought I could just get through life just impressing people with charisma or performance, but all the while realizing that I couldn't escape God. For you, what was it? Or what is it right now? What have you done to sin against God? You know, the three things that the young son reminds me of when he, when he goes to God is he's, he's selfish. He asks for the inheritance for himself. You know, his brother's there, still working, and he's selfish. He's self-focused. He wants to go do what he wants to do. His father and his brother, his family, have worked hard on something. He wants to take uh, the money uh, that is not even his yet, and he wants to go use it for how he wants. He's also highly insulting. It's pretty bold to do that. And I remember even myself and how the more I sinned, it's like Ephesians says, we sin with a continual lust for more. I pushed. I just kept pushing the limit with sin. I kept pushing it. Each pornographic view and experience had to be more radical, had to be more uh, perverted than the last. Every lie, every, every scheme got more and more and more twisted. Every thought about someone who I didn't agree with, I could put them down in my head. I could destroy them in my heart. I could treat them with contempt and condescension. And the, the sun goes off, and it gets bad pretty quick for the sun. And something amazing happens. And it's, it's a phrase you probably, you may have not picked up on, but it says he came to his senses. It got bad for him. He had lost all his money. There was a famine. He was forced to go work with pigs. Anybody know Jewish people in here? Yeah, yeah pigs. No, right? Unclean, right? He went, he's a Jewish person who had to go work and touch pigs. He was the epitome of unclean. The epitome of disgusting. And he longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs were eating. Carob pods are very, very bitter uh, uh, food that you only eat when you have nothing, no other option. And here he is, and it says he comes to his senses. And he, he wakes up. He realizes, I can go home. Why am I here when I can go home? But notice something special that I think is the problem. I think our struggle with repentance is we don't have this heart. And this is a special heart. Notice what he says. He says, I've sinned against heaven first and also you. He could have easily said, no, dad, I blew it with you. Where's God? Every sin is first and foremost a sin against God. And he has a perspective. When we come to our senses, when we study the Bible, all we realize is this whole time I've been fighting God. This whole time, my sins have been first and foremost against heaven, also against you. Another way of saying sin against heaven is just another way of saying I've sinned against God. But he realizes I've sinned against heaven and against you. Remember David in Psalm 51. David uh, commits adultery, conspiracy to murder. I mean, the the list is long. This guy's done the worst and worst of sins here. Uh, David in Psalm 51, what does he say? He says almost the same thing. Father, I've sinned first and foremost against you. Not the woman that I stole, not the man that I killed. I've sinned against them, but first and foremost, God, my sin has been against you. And the son wakes up. He hits rock bottom. And he struggles, though, because he realizes that he's not worthy to return. You know, it's funny how similar the older son and the younger son are. Did you notice? The younger son is ungrateful, insulting, and self-focused. The older son is ungrateful, insulting, and self-focused. Now, it's manifesting itself differently. And right when the Pharisees thought that they had a good parable going for him, uh, Jesus switches it on. I'm like, ah, oh, man, you did it again. 
why aren't these going to come our way? You know, are you kidding? But then he has this nice little addendum to the end of the story, which is beautiful for both sons. I believe all of us are probably both sons at some point in our lives. Uh, Sometimes we're the prodigal, sometimes we're the elder son. It's just different types of sin, but the sin is manifested differently. But the son realizes, the younger son, I'm not worthy. I'm going to go home. Why does he say he's not worthy? I think it's the same reason that we struggle to forgive, is that we look at forgiveness as a, a, a matter of worthiness, a matter of honor. Why, don't we, why do we struggle to forgive the person who's a repeat offender? Because they haven't earned it. They've blown it. They've proven they cannot change. Why would I forgive them? Their track record is against them. They, they still are. They're unaware again. Are you kidding? What you said was so hurtful or discouraging. What you did, and you're not even aware of it. I can't forgive her. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive my father for what he did. I can't forgive my mom. It was, it was my whole childhood. I can't forgive them. I can't move on. I can't set it aside. And the younger son struggles, and he goes, I'm not worthy to be called your son. What's beautiful is he's arranged this, this, this you know, you ever have to apologize to your mom and dad, and you, you kind of arrange what you're going to say? Okay, I got down, you know. Know what I'm going to say? Okay, I'm going to lead, you know, with kind of a small, small joke to lighten the mood. And then I'm going to go in. So he's got his little confession here, right? He goes, here's what I'll say. Okay, I'm not worthy, and I've sinned against heaven and against you. All right. And it's his, it's his metanoia, by the way. It's his repentance. Repentance is crucial for salvation. His repentance leads him to go rep- approach his father. But you know what's beautiful? He does not utter a word of that confession. He doesn't even get within earshot. He is far off. But the father doesn't have a cautious approach. The father doesn't say, earn back the trust you've broken. The father doesn't say, let me make sure you've changed before I forgive. The father sees him and a Middle Eastern man in robes, don't run, in robes, decides to pick up those robes, just like Zacchaeus does, and run. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. He's showing some leg. He's flying. He's going. He's running. It doesn't matter. He sees his son. And he gives him a huge embrace. And he hugs him. And he hangs. King James says that he hangs on his neck. He's, He's embracing him. He's loving him. You know, compassion comes before the confession. The problem is, is that we think forgiveness is a matter of performance when it's a matter of compassion. Isn't it beautiful that the son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad says, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, what does he say? I have, my, son, my son was lost, but now he's found. Mm-hmm. He was gone. He doesn't say, yeah, you can earn back being my son. He says, no, you're my son. He says, I'm not worthy. But you know what repentance does? Repentance is crucial, but it does not earn us the forgiveness. Yeah. Repentance, repentance simply gets us within hugging distance. All repentance does is get you within hugging distance. The son has to come to his senses, doesn't he? Yeah. The son has to come to his senses before he can return. All repentance is is realizing that you've hurt God and you want to return to him. If you simply get within like eye shot, whatever that means, of, of God, 
He's going to run up to you. And you'll say, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that the addiction to sex was a sin. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. I've been yelling at my kids for years. I've been putting my wife down. I've been an absentee dad. I've been a friend so focused on my career. I've been success-driven. I've not cared about anything but climbing up the ladder of my job. And God just goes, so we're celebrating. Wow. We're celebrating. Come on. You know, what's amazing about forgiveness with each other well, what's amazing about divine forgiveness is that God can actually forget. We struggle to. But God actually can forget. He'll, he'll blot them out. They'll be gone. And he's met with celebration. The highest honor. In a shame-honor culture like this Middle Eastern culture here, uh, you only received honor if you were worthy of it. Um, I believe in our culture, uh, honor and shame kind of go, go down. Um, you know, in the sense of like, oh, my, who, you know who my parents were. But in an honor-shame culture in the uh, Middle East, it goes the other way. You bring honor to your parents. You go up. And so if I do something that's dishonorable, my whole family is dishonored. My whole family is destroyed. This, this son didn't just sin self-contained. His sin affected the whole family. His sin hurt the whole family. Perhaps his whole family was actually kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the community. They they had faced a ton of repercussions for his sin. I can't imagine. We get hurt with each other's sin, and we're not even that pure compared to God. Imagine what God feels with our sin. But how incredible is it that he's not keeping a ledger? Oh, that would be just too much. It would be a burden. Sometimes we put that burden on ourselves. It doesn't come from God. It's not about performance. It's about compassion. The compassion precedes the confession. The confession is important. It gets us there. It gets us within hugging distance. But it's not what drives. It is actually God. And you know what's beautiful about God taking the first step? Is that God has already taken the first step with us. The question is, is will we come to our senses? Will we become aware of it? God had to do one. There's only one thing God could do in regard to sin. He could not keep putting it in the closet, keep putting it in the corner. He had to do something incredible. He had to atone for it. He had to take somebody to face the repercussions and the pain and the, uh, the consequences of thousands of years, tens of thousands of years of sin sitting in the corner. Someone had to take it. And so he sends Jesus to do exactly that. Why? Simply because he wants to restore fellowship with you. God cares so much about fellowship with you that he sent his only son to become the pain, to become what God, to become what would take on, who would take on our sin and our transgressions. And I want to encourage us as we look at God this morning, as we see him, you know, hug his incredible son. We can go to that next slide, uh, Aaron. As we see that, you can kind of see it. As you, you know, they talk about, you know, you needing like a certain amount of hugs every day. I was reading that like in um, Latin American culture, like in Mexico, I think they touch each other like, like 60 to 70 times a day, like on average. But like in Europe, you only touch someone like three to four times a day, maybe less. Um, but I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to live in Mexico. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, let's just, let's just touch this hug. Like, it's just, you know, you're kind of touching and talking to somebody, have your hand on their elbow, you know, like Filipino culture also like this from what I've heard. Is that right, Lillian? Is it very touchy? She says yes. Um, very touchy, you know. Um, but it's something amazing about a hug. 
even before the son could confess, he knew his father loved him. Yeah. And he knew it was never about the performance. And even as he thought he was unworthy, his father could say, no, in fact, you are worthy. And even Jesus, this is incredible, and we'll close out with this. Even Jesus in Luke 17 says, every time someone comes to you and says, I repent, you forgive them. Um, you have to. It's non-negotiable. But there's a caveat. What if they don't come and say, I repent? What if they're unaware of it? What if they have no idea? What if they come to you with like a half-hearted, I'm sorry, shucks, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that you couldn't handle it or something. I don't know. Something like, something like that. Then what do you do? Well, the new standard is set forth in Ephesians 4.32. If I can read that to you. We can turn there. Go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read the ESV, though. Paul stops using, in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, stops using the, the word for forgiveness to set aside. And he begins using a new word. Karizomai. What does karizomai sound like? Karis. What's karis? Grace. It's our theme for the year. What is grace? The word for forgiveness that Paul uses. And we don't actually have that word. Paul made up a lot of words. We don't actually have that word in any other ancient Greek literature. But in Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Karitso mind one another. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. The new standard is to not wait till somebody has shown penitence, not wait till they've earned it, but to simply forgive as Christ forgave us. And how did Christ forgive us? We were unaware of what we did. We'll never truly be aware of how we hurt Christ. We'll never be able to really come back to him with all our hearts and with performance. But he says, be kind, be soft hearted. Forgiving each other in God as Christ forgave you. You know, I actually, I didn't plan it. Maybe Stephen did. But the song we sang before we came up says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. How cool was that? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness of bought. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And we're going to close with a similar song, a one that we can really focus on, on the words. And the words actually come from this passage. Uh, it's a really popular song. But the first stanza is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Amazing Karitsomai, right? Forgiveness. Amazing, we couldn't sing that yet. We wouldn't work with the meter. <laughs> Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Unworthy. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And just as the father is patient and loving with the younger son, he's patient and loving with the elder son. He says, you know what? You're also worthy. You've always had all I've had. Both my sons are worthy to me. They are, in fact, both my sons. And church, let us be the same way. Let's let the compassion outweigh the performance. Let's let compassion be the driver of forgiveness. And let us take the new command. And whether it take, it might take you some time. It's okay if it does. But to decide to not let the sun go down on your anger, but to get to a place where you can say, brother, I forgive you. Sister, I forgive you. And the, the, the reason for it is because your heart has been melted by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray.